So Hillary Clinton has now joined the Jill Stein quixotic recount effort in swing states, including Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Campaign counsel Mark Elias announced that while the Clinton campaign had no evidence of hacked voting systems, they wanted to ensure the veracity of the vote. Quote, because we had not uncovered any actionable evidence of hacking or outside attempts to alter the voting technology, we had not planned to exercise this option ourselves. But now that a recount has been initiated in Wisconsin, we intend to participate in order to ensure the process proceeds in a manner that is fair to all sides, unquote. Stein is infamously launching a recount effort, if you missed it, in an obvious effort to raise money for the Green Party. So, what's the goal here? Well, not to overturn election results, clearly, because Hillary lost. But Ron Fournier of National Journal raises another awful, horrifying possibility, quote, Raising doubts about the legitimacy of the election, even without overturning the result, is part of Clinton's plans to keep her options open for 2020. Make some calls. You'll hear the same from her confidants. Or no. Except this would actually be the best-case scenario for Republicans. Hillary was a historically bad candidate. She was the first female major party candidate in history, and she was somehow unable to beat the guy who was caught on tape talking about grabbing women by the bleep. Her husband was a president with significant blue-collar appeal. She lost the blue-collar white vote in historic fashion. She didn't even match Barack Obama's numbers among Hispanics. After Trump openly said a judge of Mexican descent couldn't judge his case fairly, she relied on Hollywood glitz rather than on-the-ground campaigning, and she paid for it with the White House. Hillary for re-election in 2020 would be incredible for Republicans. It'd be so great. She'd be back. She'd be twice as annoying, which is almost mathematically impossible. She'd have half the enthusiasm, again, almost mathematically impossible. And she'd have half the energy level, which means that she would be twice as dead. Meanwhile, she would suck all of the oxygen out of the room, preventing other candidates from rising. Her corruption would ensure any future Trump corruption would be negated as a campaign issue. Republicans should pray for more Hillary Clinton. In a way, though, Hillary doesn't really have much of a choice. Donations to the Clinton Foundation have plummeted since her loss, since there's no pay if there's no pay for play. What happens to her if she merely becomes a failed presidential candidate? Hillary needs access in order to sell the access. So, watch for a Hillary comeback. We can only hope and pray that, once again, Hillary's ego drives her to new lows. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Okay, so much to get to today on this post-Thanksgiving Day show. We're back, and we're kind of in the, the nice period of the year, this, this period between Thanksgiving and New Year's where everybody calms down a little bit. We calm all the way up till the inauguration, except for the continuing chaos that emerges from the left and from the White House on a consistent basis. So we'll keep you up to date on all of that. But first, we say hello to our advertisers over at Lyft. So if you are in need of a ride somewhere and you don't want to get in a car driven by an insane person uh, or you don't want to get into a cab because they're very expensive. Lyft is the best ride sharing app there is. Right now, if you go to Lyft and you download their app, if you enter promo code Shapiro, you get up to $10 off three free rides. So you get you get $10, three free rides, 30 bucks in case you couldn't do the math. If you download that free Lyft app today and you enter the promo code Shapiro in the payment section, you get that $30 value for free, which is awesome. Promo code Shapiro. So I use Lyft. My wife uses Lyft. That's important to me because my wife works all hours. Uh, she's, she's constantly coming home very late at night after taking care of people in the ER. And sometimes uh, she actually has to come home uh, on, uh, on Shabbos. She has to come home on Saturdays uh, because she's a doctor, which means that in emergency situations she's allowed to work. But she uses rideshare apps because you're really not supposed to drive. So instead... She uses Lyft to get home, and uh, and the and the, that's the uh, that's the best way uh, to do it. The the best way to do it is Lyft. Again, safest drivers. Uh, they have the the best capacity for taking you in a safe way. Uh, Lyft is the place to be. So go get that app right now and use promo code Shapiro thirty dollar value for free. All righty. So. 
There was some good news over the weekend, some really good news over the weekend. An evil piece of crap died, so that's always excellent. Uh, Fidel Castro bit the bullet uh, 90 years too late. Um, I shouldn't say that. Maybe he was a good child. I don't know. But but certainly uh, about 60 years too late, he took over Cuba at age 32. So any time before that, he could have gone. That would have been all right. Um, he, he did an enormous amount of damage to people. The media have treated him as though he was a controversial figure as opposed to a mass mur- murdering barbaric dictator. Uh, he was basically low-rent Stalin for people who, who don't know much about Fidel Castro. And I want to go through and talk a little bit about what Fidel Castro actually did, because the left will never tell you straight exactly what was wrong with Fidel Castro, because the thing about Fidel Castro for the left is the left is pretty much fine. The left is pretty much okay with anything that, the, that other leftists do. They, they, they're not in love with the mass murder, but if mass murder has to get done in order to create the new utopia, they can live with it. So the front page of the New York Times said, a revolutionary who defied the U.S. and held Cuba in his thrall. Well, he didn't actually hold Cuba in his thrall. He actually created a giant gulag and sentenced everybody in the country to stay in it. And he wasn't a revolutionary so much as he was a socialist dictator who murdered all dissidents. Um, but I think that it's important to go through some of the facts about, about Fidel Castro. So we will do that today. So first of all, Fidel Castro took over the country in 1959. He took over from a guy named General Batista. General Batista was also a dictator, but he was sort of a right-wing dictator. Uh, and General Batista, under Batista, Cuba was one of the richest countries in Latin America. Uh, it was on the upswing. It was sort of like, uh, not a good guy, Batista, but m- sort of like Pinochet, except less violent. Uh, he was eventually going to end up transitioning into uh, a, d- a form of democracy in all likelihood. Instead, there was a violent revolution with Castro at its source. And here is Fidel Castro taking power. Here's what it like. Outside Havana's presidential palace, hundreds of thousands rally at the call of revolutionary leader Fidel Castro, who estimated their number at a million. Most of the throng wears the colors of Castro's 26th of July movement. They are in an exultant mood as the man who overthrew the Batista dictatorship calls on them to approve the public trials and executions of pro-Batista figures guilty of war crimes and atrocities. The executions, some 250 to date, have been widely criticized by many as too hasty and summary, even if justified. Says Castro, the Cuban revolutionary government has no reason to offer explanations to America or to anyone except the people of Cuba. Castro asks his audience if it favors the summary court-martial, and he gets his answer in a roar of approval. All in all, he ended up executing thousands and thousands of people. Uh, he conspired with the mass murderer Che Guevara, we'll talk about Che in just a minute, to overthrow Fulgencia Batista, who was that dictator, and then he began a guerrilla campaign resulting in his takeover of the island. He immediately exiled priests, he exiled all, all religious figures, he destroyed religious schools, he nationalized all businesses, he imprisoned and murdered his, en- murdered his enemies. Within the first three months, he had between 600 and 1,100 people shot. Che Guevara said, there's a direct quote from Che, this, this piece of crap who you see people walking around with his face on T-shirts. It's like walking around, uh, again, with a Stalin T-shirt. He said, to send men to the firing squad, judicial proof is unnecessary, is what Che Guevara said. These procedures are an archaic bourgeois detail. This is a revolution, and a revolutionary must become a cold-killing machine motivated by pure hate. We must create a pedagogy of the paradon, that's the, the execution wall. So you have to teach people through the execution wall. Castro actually imprisoned more of his citizens by percentage than Hitler or Stalin. By 1961, he had imprisoned 300,000 human beings. He asked the Soviet Union to actually nuke the United States in 1961 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. Castro supported terrorist groups all over the world, ranging from FARC in Colombia to Shining Path in Peru and the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. Hundreds of thousands of Cubans fled. 
millions actually, many drowned in the ocean, thousands of people drowned in the ocean as they attempted to sail to Florida. Between 1959 and 1992, at least 2 million Cubans fled Cuba. Now, some of the lies that you'll be told is that he didn't impoverish Cuba. He absolutely did. The average GDP per capita in in Cuba, uh, when Castro took over, was a little bit over $2,000 per person per year. By 1999, the average GDP per capita, remember, this is a 40-year period. By 1999, the per capita GDP in the nation was $2,300. So it had advanced $300 in 40 years. According to Discover the Networks, the average daily wage for agriculture workers in Cuba in 1958 was 3 bucks. The average daily wage in France at the time was $2.73. Cuba had in 1958, the year before Castro took over, the highest standard of living uh, of any Latin American country and half of Europe. Here's the Wall Street Journal. The Cuba that Castro inherited was developing but relatively prosperous and ranked third in Latin America in doctors and dentists and daily calorie consumption per capita. Its infant mortality rate was the lowest in the region and the 13th lowest in the world. Cubans were among the most literate Latins and had a vibrant civic life with private, professional, commercial, religious, and charitable organizations. Castro destroyed all of it. He ruined agriculture by imposing collective farms, making Cuba dependent first on the Soviets and later on oil from Hugo Chavez's Venezuela. In the past half century, Cuba's export growth has been less than Haiti's. And now even doctors are scarce because so many are sent abroad to earn foreign currency. Hospitals don't even have sheets or aspirin. The average monthly income is $20. Government food rations are inadequate. As for that health care, you always hear about the Cuban health care. Absolute crap. There are three systems. There are the socialist revolutionaries who get good care. There are the foreigners who come and pay with cash, like Fat Michael Moore. And then there is, and then there is the actual people of Cuba. This is according to Jay Nordlinger of National Review. He said, hospitals and clinics are crumbling. Conditions are so unsanitary, patients may be better off at home, whatever home is. If they do have to go to the hospital, they must bring their own bed sheets, soap, towels, food, light bulbs, even toilet paper. That's how poor health care is. Imagine you go to the hospital and you have to bring your own light bulbs and toilet paper. Basic medications are scarce. Doctors have been known to reuse latex gloves. Okay, the whole point of latex gloves is that you don't reuse them. As for the infant mortality rate, they're constantly bragging about the infant mortality rate. That's because they do all sorts of prenatal checkups, so they want to keep that statistic artificially high. And the way that they do that is they do prenatal checkups. If there's any danger to the pregnancy at all, they simply abort the kid. So the abortion rates in Cuba are extraordinarily, extraordinarily high. It really is a horrifying system of government, and that's been brought about by, by the Castros. But look how the media just worship the Castro. So this is Ed Sullivan. Ed Sullivan uh, had on Castro. Uh, this is 1961, I believe, uh, or 1959. And here's Ed Sullivan, who's then the most popular television host in the United States, praising Fidel Castro. I know in school, I understand you were a very fine student, a very fine athlete. Were you a baseball pitcher? Yes, baseball pitcher. Basketball, basketball, yeah. football, and every, every, everything, every sport. Well, undoubtedly, all of that exercise you did in school prepared you for this role. Yes, it helped me very much now in this world. You know, this is a fine young man, and a very smart young man. With the help of God and our prayers, and with the help of the American government, he will come up with the sort of democracy down there that America should have. He'll create the sort of democracy America should have? Unbelievable. This is how the media treated Fidel Castro, a mass-murdering dictator. Mass-murdering dictator. Castro on Face the Nation. Here's, here's Castro appearing on Face the Nation. This is from 1959. Because public opinion in Cuba is now very strong and with a tremendous force. Nobody is enough powerful to 
opposite now the public opinion of the free country of Cuba. Okay, so he says that public opinion will drive, and this is always what socialist revolutionaries, would-be dictators say. Whenever somebody talks about public opinion making might right, that's never a good thing. It's why demagogues are scary, right? People who come up and they say, well, the public says I can do this. doesn't matter what the law says. doesn't matter what the Constitution says. The people want it. We'll have summary executions. Again, tens of thousands of people murdered, hundreds of thousands of people imprisoned by Fidel Castro. Okay, here's Che Guevara at the, at the United Nations talking about human rights. It says, as Fidel Castro has said, so long as the concept of sovereignty exists as the prerogative of nations and of independent peoples, as a right of all peoples, we will not accept the exclusion of our people from that right. Nosotros no aceptaremos la exclusión de nuestro pueblo de ese derecho. So long as the world is governed by these principles, so long as the world is governed by those concepts that have universal validity, because they are universally accepted and recognized by the peoples, we will not accept the attempt to deprive us of any of those rights, and we will renounce none of those rights. So he's basically saying here, this is Che Guevara in 1964 in front of the United Nations. Three years later, he was dead, and he was dead because uh, he went into other parts of Latin America and attempted to lead coups there, communist coups there. So he's talking there about how nobody should interfere with Cuba, and then he promptly went to Latin America and attempted to start a revolution in Bolivia uh, and was killed for his trouble. Thank God. He was a really terrible human being, Che Guevara. For, you want to see what it was like for Cubans living in, in Castro's Cuba. People still are, by the way, thanks to the incompetence of Barack Obama and this idiotic policy imposed over the last 50 years in the United States. I've never been in favor of this policy that the United States has with regard to, uh, to non-assassination. Uh, it makes no sense to me. I don't see why literally millions upon millions, generations of people should live in terror and suffering because we have to let an old piece of crap, like uh, an old, disgusting, desiccated piece of human debris like Fidel Castro live. We would have been better off killing him. Um, but uh, but here's, here's what it was like in Cuba and still is like in Cuba. People can't escape. It's a giant prison. Uh, here is uh, some footage of Cuban refugees. Here's what people were doing just to get out of Castro's Cuba while all of these Westerners were praising Cuba as this halcyon of light and liberty. Here is, here's what it actually looked like for people trying to get out. In 2003, news media the world over broadcast this image, a dozen Cubans sailing for freedom aboard an old green Chevy truck. Luis and his three-year-old son, Angel, were on board. Luis explained to me that few new cars entered Cuba after the revolution in the 1950s, but his old one worked just fine. He tells me he was scared, building the boat in secret and pushing from shore in the dark of night. But he was willing to risk everything for a better life in America. Okay, I mean, this is, again, hundreds of thousands of people uh, attempting to escape Cuba. In, in the early 1980s, there were so many people trying to escape that Fidel Castro actually said fine. And then he sent uh, a, a huge number of kind of the, the Cuban criminal class, uh, he let them escape. He let all the criminals go to, to Miami, uh, and that's why you saw a major upsurge in crime and, and the drug trade in Miami uh, in the early part of the 1980s. But people have been attempting to float in cars. I mean, this is how you ended up with, with the situation uh, with um, the, what was the, uh, Gonzalez. What, what was the name of the, the kid who was deported back to Cuba uh, after, his, after his dad died on the way over? Uh, from or his mother died on the way over from Cuba, and then he was deported back to Cuba uh, thanks to the Clinton administration. Uh, people have been attempting to get out of Cuba for, for 50 years, thanks to the Castros. Uh, here is some footage of, of Castro's prisoners speaking about what it was like to be a dissident in Castro's Cuba. 
It was like being in the depths of hell. The suffering made me a little crazy. But my husband and children wrote to me and that kept me going, she said. Gallardo and her husband Ángel were arrested at a small anti-government demonstration in May 2014. Their crime, they say, chanting down with Fidel Castro. Education for Cubans has been about fear and how to be afraid, about how to avoid confrontation with the authorities because they have power. They teach you what they want you to know, but not really what goes on in the world, he said. Both were released on January 8th, according to their prison papers. The pair spent eight months behind bars in what they say were appalling conditions. Okay, and that's not unusual. Lots of people died and just went missing uh, in, in Castro's prisons. Uh, Castro had a special hatred for homosexuals, so very early in his regime, he basically rounded up homosexuals. Here is testimony from some, some gay folks who were rounded up by Fidel Castro and put in prison camps. La juventud de la Unión de Jóvenes Comunistas llevaba una lista de los candidatos a ser depurados. Algunos de estos candidatos sabían que iban a ser depurados y por lo tanto no iban. Otros sabían, no lo sabían y se daban cuenta allí. Las humillaciones durante las asambleas de depuración consistían en que se obligaba a todas las personas que estaban presentes a decir todos los inimaginables a la persona que estaba siendo depurada. Eh, y era algo de lo que no nada, las personas no podían y había gente que, que no lo podían soportar porque nunca se lo imaginaron y se suicidaban porque enfrentarse no solamente a la humillación esta pública they were de la universidad sino a, su, a la humillación familiar tener que volver a la casa they y decir, had to go home and say, al padre o a la madre me votaron de la universidad porque me acusaron de ser homosexual some killed themselves. Okay, that was not uncommon in Castro's Cuba. Uh, and uh, again, th this is somebody who m mass executions were not were not uncommon uh, in Castro's Cuba. Here is a here is a, a footage of one of the original executions. This was released by the Castro regime very early on. Uh, this was uh, supposedly a member of uh, Batista's regime. So delightful, folks, delightful, folks. The reason that I do all of this is because the left in America and in the West glorify people like Castro. They really do. Uh, and it's truly disgusting. So first we're going to give you, and we're going to have to, first let me take a break real fast and say hello to our friends over at Trunk Club. So on the lighter side, obviously, it's now Black Friday, it's Black Friday, it's, it's Cyber Monday, it's, it's the, the week of deals. And over at trunkclub.com slash Ben, you go there and you sign up right now. You use the trunkclub.com slash Ben. And uh, it's a great gift that you can buy for yourself. You can buy it for a family member. What's great about Trunk Club, the way that this works is that they have all of these people who are consultants who you can text with, you can, you can chat with, and they help you pick out the kind of clothes that you want. Uh, and they, they help tailor those clothes, make sure that they fit you properly. And then they send you a trunk of the kind of clothes that you're looking for. You keep what you want. You send back what you don't. Uh, you only get a trunk when, you're, when you are ordering you know, certain types of clothing. So it's not like it just comes every month and becomes a hassle. If you don't like it, you send it right back. Uh, and uh, they also have these clubhouses that are really great, places like Boston and New York, Chicago, L.A., Dallas, D.C., Charleston. They all have these clubhouses. I've been to the one out in L.A. It's great. You actually meet with a stylist. They go through your wardrobe. They tell you exactly what you need, and they help guide you through the process. 
And all of their stuff is really beautifully made. It's all top brand stuff. It takes, you know, building a really good wardrobe takes time, uh, and you should really get top end items. It's better to get one top end item that you're going to wear a bunch of times than it is to get a bunch of crappy items that are going to fall apart immediately. A trunk club is for the best quality materials, the best quality stuff. It's not a subscription service. You order the clothes whenever you like from your own stylist. You take five days to try everything on. You can send it back. You can ask them for advice. You have their text, uh, so you can text back and forth. You can even help pair up the new clothes with the old clothes uh, over at Trunk Club. And your stylist is a professional. I've worked with their professionals. They really are top-notch. It's trunkclub.com slash Ben. Trunkclub.com slash Ben. So, Back to our story. The reactions to the Castro death are really quite telling. The difference between right and left on the Castro death uh, is really quite amazing. So Donald Trump gave what I thought is the, the best thing that he's done this entire campaign. It's the best thing that I've done that I think that Donald Trump has done uh, since, he, since he announced. Here was Donald Trump's statement on the, on the death of Fidel Castro. And he didn't write this, but it doesn't matter. He's the president-elect, so he put it out. It says, quote, Today, the world marks the passing of a brutal dictator who oppressed his own people for nearly six decades. Fidel Castro's legacy is one of firing squads, theft, unimaginable suffering, poverty, and the denial of fundamental human rights. While Cuba remains a totalitarian island, it is my hope that today marks a move away from the horrors endured for so long and toward a future in which the wonderful Cuban people finally live in the freedom they so richly deserve. Though the tragedies, deaths, and pains caused by Fidel Castro cannot be erased, our administration will do all it can to ensure the Cuban people can finally begin their journey toward prosperity and liberty. I join the many Cuban Americans who supported me so greatly in the presidential campaign, including the Brigade 2506 Veterans Association that endorsed me, with the hope of one day soon seeing a free Cuba. This is the best statement that there was from any world leader on this. That's exactly right. Fidel Castro does not deserve one iota of praise. Ryan's Priebus came out and he said, look, you know, Obama's famous deal that he did with the, with the Castros, we'll just renege on it. We're not going to do that anymore. Um, because that deal is a total train wreck and everybody knows it and any, anything that we can do to get rid of it, we will. Now, there's parts of it that may be very difficult to, to get out of, but we're going to take a fresh look at it, put fresh eyes on that deal. And I can assure you, if anyone can renegotiate that deal or do something about it to make it better for the American people and not start a nuclear arms race in the Middle East, it's going to be President-elect Trump. Okay, so if he, if he rips up the Cuba deal, that would be a wonderful thing, obviously. Uh, Ted Cruz says the Obama administration has strengthened the Cuban regime. Clearly they have. Unfortunately, the policies of, of the Obama administration ha- have made that less likely. What, what the Obama administration has done is strengthened Raul Castro. Raul is the dictator now. Uh, you know, I asked my dad at dinner last night, well, what do you think happens now that Fidel is dead? And, and he shrugged and said, Raul's been in charge for years. The, the, the system has gotten stronger. And what Obama has done is funneled billions of dollars to Raul Castro, which is being used to oppress dissidents. You know, in 2015, roughly 10,000 political arrests occurred in Cuba. That is five times as many as occurred in 2010 when there were only about 2,000. This tyrannical regime has gotten stronger because of a weak president, weak foreign policy. And, And it is very much my hope and belief that with a new president coming into office in January, President Trump, a new administration, that, that, that U.S. foreign policy, not just to Cuba, but towards our enemies, whether they are Iran or North Korea, will no longer be a policy of weakness and appeasement, but instead using U.S. strength to force and, and press for change. Okay, so that's the okay. So here is the uh, so so that is the uh, the left uh, that, that's the right's take on on the Castro death. 
for more, for, for the left's take, and this is where it really gets interesting, you, you're going to have to go to dailywire.com and subscribe. Uh, we have to cut off the live broadcast on Facebook and YouTube now. But if you become a subscriber at dailywire.com, 8 bucks a month gets you access, $8 a month uh, only. And if you become an annual subscriber, we're still giving away my book for free, signed copies of my book, True Allegiance. Uh, plus, you get to be part of the mailbag once you're a subscriber. Uh, we do a live mailbag on Thursdays. We'll be doing that this week, as we do every week. Uh, and uh, you get the rest of the show live as well. Plus, there are other goodies that are coming soon. And if you're a subscriber, also, you don't have to look at the ads on our site, the annoying pop-up ads on our site. So, dailywire.com to become a subscriber or go later and listen to the rest of the show over at SoundCloud or iTunes. We are the largest conservative podcast in the United States. So, the right reacts to the Castro death properly. Here's how the left reacts. Here's Barack Obama's statement. It says, quote, at this time of Fidel Castro's passing, we extend a hand of friendship to the Cuban people. We know that this moment fills Cubans in Cuba and in the United States with powerful emotions, recalling the countless ways in which Fidel Castro altered the course of individual lives, families, and of the Cuban nation. History will record and judge the enormous impact of the singular figure on the people and world around him. That is about as disgusting as it gets. He finishes, we offer condolences to Castro's family, and our thoughts and prayers are with the Cuban people. In the days ahead, they will recall the past and also look to the future. What utter nonsense. Disgusting. I mean, this is like, uh, imagine this were written about Stalin, and you understand how disgusting this is. Because for Cubans, this was the Cuban Stalin, okay? And and, and describing him as just a, a pivotal figure, doesn't and ignoring all the evils that he committed... It seems about power for the course for the left, and I'll explain why in just a second. Bernie Sanders, he, he, was, he was pretty warm on Castro as well, makes perfect sense. Bernie Sanders is a socialist, of course. So have you changed your view of Castro since 1985? How would you Look, now describe his leadership? That, I'm, not quite sure, I'm not quite sure, Martha, this is the issue that is on the minds of the American people right now who basically want to make sure that Donald Trump keeps the promises that he made when he said he was not going to cut Social Security, I, I, Medicare, I know, but I want to go back Medicaid. to your comments, please. We'll get the, the to Donald Trump in a moment. The answer is the Castro that in, and Cuba, no, of course, their economy is terrible. You're right. It is a dictatorship. They did have a good health, do have a decent health care system uh, and a decent educational system. A lot of people have left Cuba for better dreams to fulfill their aspirations. Uh, so, no, the Cuban economy is a disaster. No, I do not praise uh, Fidel Castro. He doesn't praise him, but he likes the healthcare system. Yeah, except for how the healthcare system is garbage, as I just explained a moment ago. And he doesn't like the economy there, but he pretends that it's completely disconnected from the ideas of socialism, which of course isn't true. If you listen to any of the rhetoric of Che Guevara or of Fidel Castro himself, obviously the collectivization of farms, the destruction of private property, all of that is perfectly in line with what Bernie Sanders promotes in, in his Marxist view of what government ought to do. Justin Trudeau had the worst statement on this of any world leader. Here's Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, uh, who is basically good-looking Bernie Sanders. He says, It is with deep sorrow that I learned today of the death of Cuba's longest-serving president. Fidel Castro is a larger-than-life leader who served his people for almost half a century. A legendary revolutionary and orator, Mr. Castro made significant improvements to the education and health care of his island nation. While a controversial figure, both Mr. Castro's supporters and Tractors recognized his tremendous dedication and love for the Cuban people who had a deep and lasting affection for El Comandante. Wow. I mean, is that propaganda for a dictator or is that propaganda for a dictator? He called him a remarkable leader. We join the people of Cuba today in mourning the loss of this remarkable leader. Remarkable leader. <laughs> Two million people fled his country. Two million fled his country and more would have if they could have. But according to Justin Trudeau, who's a lefty up in Canada, he was a remarkable figure. 
The left doesn't care about the evils you commit as long as you do so in pursuit of collectivist utopia. That's the moral here. Jimmy Carter is another one of these. Here's Jimmy Carter's statement on this. Jimmy Carter, who has spent his entire post-presidency career touting the the wonders of, of dictators and evil terrorists the world over. His statement says, Rosalind and I share our sympathies with the Castro family and the Cuban people on the death of Fidel Castro. We remember fondly our visits with him in Cuba and his love of his country. We remember fondly our visits with him in Cuba. Oh, you know, I remember that one time we went swimming with Fidel. Yeah, the the people who drowned in the oceans swimming to get away from Fidel, they don't remember him quite as fondly. And then here finally is the New York Times' Helene Cooper defending Castro and pretending that what he did was okay. Well, first of all, I think I disagree with you guys on the, you, you present a very, and Marco Rubio just did that, a very Americocentric view of Cuba, which is Castro as the, you know, satanic demon that the United States has, and in many ways he, he has been. But I think what President Obama's statement reflects is that nobody in the rest of the world sort of agrees with you. Uh, uh, the Castro that I grew up knowing as a child growing up in Liberia was a Castro who fought the South African apartheid regime that the United States was propping up. It was a a Castro that sent Cuban soldiers into Angola and helped to bring down apartheid South Africa. And so there's a lot of of ambivalence when you look at Fidel Castro that's usually not reflected here. Fidel Castro and his role in South Africa, the fact is that he, like like the Soviet Union, was supportive of Nelson Mandela because they believed that Nelson Mandela was a Marxist who was going to impose a communist way of life on South Africa. Mandela didn't end up doing that, but that was the reason that he supported him, not because he was really that hateful of the apartheid regime per se. But the reason that the left loves Castro, again, is because for the left, individual rights are an obstacle to collectivist utopia. Individual rights are an obstacle to collectivist utopia. And so if individuals get in the way, all he is, in the same way that there are a lot of people on the right who feel that Donald Trump is sort of their id, that if they could just be freed from all the boundaries of civilized behavior, they would just do the Donald Trump stuff, say whatever they please, act however they please. And that's whatever it is. Okay, There are a lot of people on the left who feel that way about Castro and Stalin. If I had my way, I would just you know snuff out all the people who are in the way. I would just collectivize all the property. I would just nationalize everything. And if people die, people die. I mean, in order to have a, a fairer system, you're going to have to have uh, – you're going to have to crack a few eggs to make an omelet, as, as the apocryphal statement by Stalin goes. So what's the big deal? That's, that's sort of the, the attitude toward Fidel Castro and really is disgusting. It demonstrates the moral emptiness at the heart of so much of the American left, the same people who are upholding Stalin, and they did. They upheld Stalin. Remember, the, the American left liked Castro so much that when a Fidel Castro-associated communist, Lee Harvey Oswald, shot JFK, they immediately turned it and pretended that Lee Harvey Oswald was a right-wing racist. Okay, That's how much they wanted to protect the Soviet Union in Cuba, because as as uh, Jackie O said, she actually said this after JFK was killed, why did it have to be some silly little communist? Why couldn't he have died for race rights? I mean, this is how the left thinks. The left thinks that the system, the American system is bad, and that anybody who opposes the American system is, uh, is apparently good. Anybody who opposes the American system is good, and that's per- even, if they, even if they're slaughtering people all over the place. Okay, so... That's all I have to say on Castro. I hope that was at least informative so you have some more information about Castro when your idiot nephew with the Che Guevara shirt comes in. You can say Che Guevara was a monster who slaughtered literally thousands of people, uh, bragged about doing so without, without due process of law, and then, thank God, was murdered in Bolivia, uh, executed in Bolivia, uh, as well he should have been. Again, the only tragedy there is that he didn't die earlier. The same thing is true of Fidel Castro. Okay, meanwhile, on the political front, 
There's a bit of kabuki theater going on with regard to the Trump administration. They're now talking about Mitt Romney for Secretary of State. They've been talking about this for a couple of weeks. Kellyanne Conway, who is the hired gun for the Trump administration, the Trump campaign, for those who don't know, Kellyanne Conway, everyone's treating Kellyanne Conway like she's some you know, God-given genius, like Kellyanne Conway is just so brilliant and she's the one in control. Kellyanne Conway is not in control. Kellyanne Conway is a hired gun. She was hired by the Mercers to be their family their family spokesperson. Then she was hired by the Mercers to be the spokesperson for a, a pro-Ted Cruz super PAC. And then she became the spokesperson for Trump because the Mercers were basically paying her to do so. That's how they also got Bannon in the door, with Steve Bannon in the door with Trump. Now she's playing it. At, she's a Trump loyalist. She was on the Trump all along, all this kind of silliness. Here's here's Kellyanne Conway slamming Mitt Romney. Uh, I think that there was the Never Trump movement, and then there was Governor Mitt Romney. He went out of his way to hurt Donald Trump. He gave two speeches that I can recall in this calendar year, and they were both about Donald Trump. Evan McMullen ran in the state of Utah for president. Uh, we don't know who Mitt Romney voted for, but apart from that, look, I'm, I'm glad they're talking. I've been very, I've been critical of Mitt Romney in the past, and I also last week on on your network and other places talked about how I was very pleased that the president-elect and Mitt Romney, had Governor Romney, had met out at Bedminster. I was, I was there when they met. Okay, so she says that uh, you know she is she's very upset with the idea that you'd ever pick Mitt Romney. She continued along these lines. She spent the entire weekend bashing Romney. In other words, what I'm all for party unity, but I'm not sure that we have to pay for that with the Secretary of State position. But again, let me repeat, what Donald Trump decides, Kellyanne Conway and everybody else will respect. It's just the the backlash from the grassroots. I'm hearing from people who say, hey, my, aunt, my, my parents died penniless, but I gave $216 uh-huh. to Donald Trump's campaign and I would feel betrayed. You have people saying, I thought we got rid of this type. Um, his, his, I'm just saying that there were, we don't even know if Mitt Romney voted for Donald Trump. Okay, well, first of all, I'm unaware that one of the credentials for Secretary of State is you voted for Donald Trump. I wasn't aware that that was an actual credential. Like, you're going to be better at being Secretary of State because you voted for Trump. Okay, I thought that the actual credential would be, I don't know, like being good at being Secretary of State. This is all silliness, but she continues along these lines. She says that we were betrayed, we were betrayed. Do you think Mitt Romney could be a loyal Secretary of State for Donald Trump? I would hope so, because that's the first job of any Secretary of State, Dana, is to support and work directly for and advise the president for whom you work. Um, I, I, I felt compelled to mention it because I, it's just breathtaking in scope and intensity the type of messages I've received from all over the country, and I'm just me, I'm not Donald Trump, and so just as his former campaign manager, the number of people who feel betrayed to think that a Governor Romney would get the most prominent cabinet post after he went so far out of his way to hurt Donald Trump. To hurt Donald Trump. Oh, poor Donald. Oh, okay. So I'm going to explain in a little while what all of this really is about, or at least what the options are. But then Morning Joe, so, so Joe Scarborough, who's close with, with Trump, uh, it was so funny. The whole campaign, he was saying, no, I'm not close with Trump. How dare you? Then, of course, Trump wins, and now they're best friends again. Uh, he says that he was talking with Trump, and, uh, and Trump was very, very upset with Kellyanne Conway. So here's Morning Joe talking about it. 
Two sources at the top of the Trump transition team confirmed to MSNBC that they spoke to the president-elect today and that Donald Trump was, quote, furious at Kellyanne Conway's comments on Sunday, suggesting Trump betrayed his supporters by even considering Mitt Romney for a position in his cabinet. Kellyanne went rogue at Donald Trump's expense at the worst possible time, a source familiar with Trump's thinking said. Trump's top aides said they were, quote, baffled by Conway's comments and suggested that it feeds into a growing concern inside the campaign that, quote, instead of driving Donald Trump's message, she's pushing her own agenda. One top transition aide said, quote, it's dangerous. Steve Bannon and Reince Priebus have reportedly been growing frustrated by Kellyanne Conway's failure to become a team player in a transition process where the top players are forming a tight-knit group around the president-elect. Okay, fine. And here is the, and then, and then finally, Conway texts them on air and says, you're reporting this in a sexist way. The uh, response uh, from Kellyanne Conway, who says about our reporting this morning, it is sexist. She says she can have any job she wants um, and is thinking about taking a role inside of the campaign. I'm not sure how that reporting is sexist because those were sources at the top of the campaign. Is she wow. suggesting that the Well, people, she also says she'll, she could get any job that she wants. Is she suggesting, but I want to know, is she suggesting that the people that she's working with, the three people at the top of the Trump transition campaign are sexist? Is that, because that's where all this sourcing comes from, the people closest to Donald Trump. Um, it's sexist. I, I don't understand. What's sexist about? Or why are they sexist for saying this? Okay, so this. Okay, it's not just Kellyanne Conway. Newt Gingrich is also on TV, and he's also ripping into Romney as well. Uh, here's what what the the guy who thought he was going to be Secretary of State had to say about all this. Let me first of all say I will support whoever President-elect Trump picks because he has the right to fill the cabinet based on his judgment and on his vision of going forward. So while I have very strong opinions, and I'm mm -hmm. going to say them, uh, that doesn't mean that I wouldn't support whoever President-elect Trump picked. Uh, I think there is nothing Mitt Romney can say that doesn't sound phony and, frankly, pathetic. Uh, he, he made his case. He made his case all year. He did all he could to help cause uh, Trump to lose Utah. Uh, he called Trump vicious and vile things. Uh, he described him in language that is not possibly compatible with being together. And the idea that now that Trump has won, that Mitt would suddenly decide to issue a mea culpa and say, oh, gee, all the vicious things I said about you when you were running, I didn't really mean. Well, he sure did mean them. And he sure did try to defeat Donald Trump. And sure. I think for speaking for most of the Trump supporters, um, while we will support President-elect Trump in whatever he does, I think we would be enormously disappointed if okay, he brought so Mitt Romney exactly in any Gingrich position either, There's authority. a representative who came out and said the same thing. So you've got Conway, you've got, and, and then you've got this fake kind of, they're all fighting inside. Oh, my God. Okay, so let me explain. Let me break this down for you because I know all the players. Okay, here's how this works. Kellyanne Conway is not acting on her own, as I say. Kellyanne Conway is either acting on orders from the Mercers and Steve Bannon, and Bannon is separating off from her so he can, so he can once again throw her under the bus if something goes wrong, and then he'll be stuck in, 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 in his chief counsel or chief strategist for Trump, whatever it is, 
you know, they, he'll he'll separate off from Conway if things get dicey, but he'll push her out in the snow, right? Which is very like Steve Bannon, right? Steve Bannon is the kind of fellow who would be whispering to Kellyanne Conway, you know, it'd be good. You need to go on TV and you need to rip Romney because, as we both know, Trump doesn't listen to anybody unless they're on TV, right? They don't listen to us in person, so we need to go on TV and message to Trump. So you go do that. I'll sit here and I'll try and convince him from the inside. She goes out there, she does it, and then Bannon tells Trump to get rid of her. She's terrible. Look at this. This is just awful. Right. And that that would be perfectly well within sort of Steve Bannon politicking. Um, But the the idea that she's out there doing this just by herself, like she's just going rogue. It's such nonsense. Again, hired guns do not go rogue. Hired guns work for the person who hired them. She's being hired by Trump. She was hired by the Mercers. Somebody is telling her to do this, which means that either maybe she's acting on the Mercers orders and they oppose Romney, which is possible. The Mercers are not known to be particularly forgiving. Uh, They apparently were some of the people who were threatening Ted Cruz when Cruz wouldn't endorse, uh, when Cruz wouldn't endorse, um, uh, wouldn't endorse Trump. Uh, there was talk that the Mercers, who'd been big backers, that they were sort of threatening that they would give money to Cruz's primary opponent in Texas. Uh, the Mercers are not quite known for their forgiving style. It's possible they're saying to Conway, go on TV, try to convince him that way, and we'll work it on this end. That's one possibility. Uh, The other possibility is that this is all just Trump manipulating, because Trump loves the reality show spectacle of this whole thing. People tromping to Trump Tower to meet with him as though they're they're making a pilgrimage to Rome to meet with the Pope and kissing his feet. Uh, So it's possible that he's telling Kellyanne Conway, I want you to go out and bash Romney. There's two possible ways, reasons for him to do this. One is that he actually wants there to be this kind of groundswell of anti-Romney so he can say, look, I wanted to do it, I was willing to do it, but my base just won't let me do it. Sorry, Mitt, turns out you're a joke. And this whole thing has just been a three-week charade in him stomping Mitt Romney's face. That would be well within character. It would be sort of his, he's, he was apparently attempting to get Romney to pop, publicly apologize to him, which is insane. There's no way that Romney should do that. Um, but if if he did do that, this this definitely would be a Ned Stark Joffrey situation, right? Go out there, apologize, uh, and uh, we'll take your head. Uh, we won't take your head. We'll send you to the wall, and then look at that. We took your head. Oops. Uh, so that's a possibility. The other possibility is that this is Trump. This is Trump trying to look strong over his own team. So there's been so much talk of chaos inside his team that he's manipulating the chaos. He says, okay, everybody go out there quickly and bash Mitt Romney, and then I'll pick Romney, and then I'll say, look what a tough guy I was. I took one for the team. I took a hit. That's how much I want to unify the party. That would be the most clever thing that he could do here, would be to actually pick Romney after all of this, and then say, okay, you know, I had to do this to unify the party. Romney bent the knee. Everything is fine. His followers will go along with it, because they'll go along with anything. Um, and, uh, and when I say followers, I don't just mean people who voted for him. I mean people who justify everything Trump does, which is a small sliver of the Trump electorate. Um, and, uh, and then he could get away with that. So, that's what's going on here. But the idea that this is all chaos and that no one knows what's going on and that Conway is going out there by her. Again, Kellyanne Conway is the least likely person in the United States to go out there and just do things by herself. It ain't happening. OK, it's not happening. OK, uh, in other in other crazy Trump news over the weekend, uh, I have to say this. This I thought was totally crazy. So there's talk about Jill Stein doing a recount now. She wants to recount in Wisconsin. She's filed the papers. Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. She wants a recount. Uh, really, it's just a way for Jill Stein and the Green Party to make money. Uh, the idea here is that they're going to raise all sorts of cash for a recount. It doesn't cost cash for a recount. They're just going to use that money to pay their old bills. But they're going to sucker a lot of people 
into believing that that this election is going to be overturned and Hillary will be president if you just give money to Jill Stein. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Hillary's now joined that lawsuit. So Donald Trump is now tweeting about this. And somebody, for God's sake, take away the man's Twitter. Here is Donald Trump. The Green Party scam, to, I mean, this is an essay for him. It's like a five-paragraph essay for Trump on Twitter. The Green Party scam to fill up their coffers by asking for impossible recounts is now being joined by the badly defeated and demoralized Dems. The Democrats, when they incorrectly thought they were going to win, asked that the election night tabulation be accepted. Not so anymore. Hillary Clinton conceded the election when she called me just prior to the victory speech and after the results were in. Nothing will change. Hillary's answer, debate answer on delay. That is horrifying. This is not the way our democracy works. Been around for 240 years. We've had free and fair elections. We've accepted the outcomes when we may not have liked them, and that is what, we, what must be expected of anyone standing on a stage during a general election. I, for one, am appalled that somebody that is the nominee of one of our two major parties would take that kind of position. Then, separately, she stated, he said something truly horrifying. He refused to say that he would respect the results of this of this election that is a direct threat to our democracy she then said we have to accept the results and look to the future donald trump is going to be our president we owe him an open mind and the chance to lead so much time and money will be spent same result sad and then he continues this is the part that's amazing in addition to winning the electoral college in a landslide i won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally it would have been much easier for me to win the so-called popular vote than the Electoral College and that I would only campaign in three or four states instead of the 15 states that I visited. I would have won even more easily and convincingly, but smaller states are forgotten. Okay, so serious voter fraud in Virginia, New Hampshire, and California. So why isn't the media reporting on this? Serious bias. Big problem. Okay, number one, there is no evidence of massive voter fraud in those states. I'm sure there is voter fraud, but there's no evidence that millions of votes have been illegally counted. There's one guy who tweeted that three million, literally one guy, he has an account called Jump Vote, I guess, uh, and uh, he tweeted that there were three million illegal votes. One tweet on the internet, and the president-elect of the United States is now tweeting it as though it were a fact, that there were three million illegal votes, all of them for Hillary Clinton. None of them for Trump, amazingly. All of them for Hillary Clinton. Again, I, I do have to question just, uh, this is why, you know, the idea that Trump is some sort of great planner, that some great plan is going on here. I don't see any great plan going on here. I think the most likely explanation for the Kellyanne Conway behavior is that Kellyanne Conway is being told by the Mercers and Bannon, go out there, try to convince Trump from the outside not to pick Romney, and we'll get everybody else to do it too, and then you'll be safe, safety in numbers. Uh, and then, you know, if Trump is angry, he's not really that angry, um, but Bannon is sort of, you know, whispering in his ear because he's getting rid of rivals. That, that would be my most plausible explanation at this point. But, you know, the reason I say that is because Trump is not a planner, Okay. He, now he's negotiating like my two-year-old negotiates. So the other night, my two-year-old, we have, we have a two-and-a-half-year-old, she's almost three, and we have a seven-month-old, and my two-and-a-half-year-old wanted to climb the seven-month-old's crib, and she said, I want to go in the crib. And, and we said, okay, you can go in there for three minutes. And she said, no, two minutes, because she doesn't understand how time works, right? She doesn't understand how the numbers work. So she, she doesn't understand two is, is, is less minutes, is fewer minutes than three, right? So, she, so that's, how, that's how Trump's negotiating. He won the election, and now he's saying it was fraudulent. He won. What's he doing? Uh, what? So, like, you're not supposed to, like, if you win, let's say that there's a, let's say there's a bad call in football, but it benefits your side. Do you throw the flag to try and get the replay done? Like he's, his whole case here is that the recount is going to be unnecessary and stupid, and then he just claimed there are millions of illegal votes on the rolls. How is that smart in any way? And the answer, of course, is it isn't. This is all just knee-jerk reactionary stuff. Again, some stuff that Trump does, you know, what he said about Castro is, is wonderful, best thing that he's done as president-elect. And some of it is just Trumpian, and, and this is why you know you should be a little bit, no matter how much you're rooting for Trump, you should have uh, some fears about how he's actually going to govern, because 
him just saying stuff is one thing. Him doing things that are ill-considered, uh, that's, that's another. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate. So, things I like. So, I want to start with a... Uh, I want to start... I, we didn't have a Thanksgiving episode. So, first, I want to say thank you to all the people who work on this show. I really didn't have a chance to do that. Uh, last week, but I want to thank all the people who work on the show. So uh, that obviously is uh, is all the people in this room. So Taylor does the makeup, and she does the best that she can in making me look not as horrific as I normally would. Um, and uh, and Austin does a wonderful job of handling the clips, despite my my silly jokes about how he's a white supremacist. He actually isn't, even though he likes Ramstein. Uh, Mathis uh, Mathis handles the the running of the board, uh, and. Uh, and Mathis does a terrific job on the board, uh, and and he is uh, he's the one who uh, who takes the mockery the best, I think. So <laughs> Mathis uh, Mathis gets hit the most often, and uh, and we appreciate Mathis's hard work on that. And then there's all the people who you never see and never hear from because they're in the other room cutting all the clips. That of course is uh, is Cynthia and Bailey. Uh, they cut all the clips uh, in the other room. Make sure that we have all the audio and the video that you guys see and listen to on the show. And then of course uh, Candace is the office manager and Jeremy is uh, essentially my business partner over here at Daily Wire. So I want to thank everybody. So thank you guys for your hard work and thanks for taking the ribbing in good spirit because uh, it's it's part of the shtick. Is some of it honest? Of course. But is, but is most of it just shtick? Uh, you bet it is. So, uh, we really have the best people working here. Only the best people. And, uh, and I want to say thank you. Uh, and uh, that's the last time they'll hear thank you for the rest of our time here. So, I hope they treasure that and, and keep that on, on an iPod somewhere they can play it back to themselves. Okay. Other things that I like. So, uh, I am now in the middle of a World War II history by John Keegan. Keegan is a very good historical writer. Uh, his book is called The Second World War, which is aptly titled, um, and, uh, and it, is a, it is very clearly written, very cleanly written, very good writer. He wrote a book called The Face of Battle that's quite good. It's recommended by the War College. When I was, when I was uh, back in, in law school, I took down all of the uh, reading, uh, the, the recommended reading for, for the, I think it was um, West Point, uh, and I read pretty much everything on the recommended reading, and his book, the, the Face of Battle, was on it. The Second World War is a really clear explanation of sort of events, pretty straight historical Narrative, uh, and if you want to know all about the history of the Second World War, you're not going to do better uh, than this particular book. Okay, time for some things I hate. So, as you know, we just spent like 25, 30 minutes going through the career of Fidel Castro, going through the career of um, going through the career of the uh, of, of Che Guevara and all the people that the left worship on the on the communist left. And one of the things that is truly frustrating and terrifying in the United States is so few people in the West actually know this stuff. We don't teach this stuff. We'll now in colleges teach about the evils of the United States. We'll teach about slavery, which is good. We should. Teach about how we treated the Native Americans. Good. We should. Teach about Jim Crow. Of course we should. But we don't teach about the evils that have happened inside other countries, and so people have a very skewed sense of what America is and what foreign countries are. So you'll see people like Colin Kaepernick, the 49ers quarterback, and Colin Kaepernick will kneel for the national anthem because the national anthem represents slavery and evil. And then he will wear a shirt, right? He'll wear a Malcolm X hat, Malcolm X, not from Malcolm X's period where after he converted to Islam— like not nation of Islam, actual Islam, and became more conciliatory. But he'll wear the Malcolm X hat, and then he'll wear a T-shirt that's a picture of Malcolm X with Che Guevara, one of these one of the evil murderers that we talked about today. Really, a monster, Che Guevara, um, and uh, and people on college campuses wearing around the Shea T-shirts. I remember when I was in Cambridge, uh, there was a bar that was specifically designed. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of it, um, but uh, it was on Harvard Street, and it was and it was the uh, and the, uh, the the bar was. Soviet themed. It had like a hammer and sickle, and had pictures of Che Guevara in it. 
know, the commercialization of communism is one of the most ironic parts of what the left does. You know, sell T-shirts with Che's shirt on it. Right? He's a communist. <laughs> it's, it's kind of ridiculous. But the sort of worship that still exists for evil people on the left because they don't know enough, and I'll assume it's ignorance and not evil, because it is evil to humor evil, but, but I'll assume it's ignorance here, is truly astonishing. Uh, Kaepernick yesterday was actually booed in Miami uh, because he'd uh, supported Che Guevara with his T-shirt before. Here's what it looked like. 29-year-old native of Turlock, California, Colin Kaepernick. He had the electrifying start to his career. Nearly took the 49ers to back-to-back Super Bowls. Took him to a pair of NFC Championship games. And you hear the crowd immediately letting their feelings known on Colin Kaepernick. It was a huge story this week about Kaepernick wearing a Fidel Castro T-shirt and an exchange he had with a local writer. And it's been all over the newspapers. And, of course, after Castro's death yesterday, that has been the story, and I mean around-the-clock story, as it naturally would be here in South Florida. So and it should be that story, right? First of all, Kaepernick's a terrible quarterback. But beyond that, this he wore a Fidel Castro T-shirt, and, uh, and a columnist called him out. He was on a teleconference call. Uh, this is according to one of the reporters of the Miami Herald. He was on a teleconference call. The Dolphins were playing Kaepernick's team Sunday. Kaepernick was saying, if anyone is okay with people being treated unfairly, being harassed, being terrorized, the problem is more what they're doing in their lives. And then he, uh, one of the writers asked him why he wore a Castro shirt when the tyrant is demonstrably a star of the world's all-oppressor team. And then Kaepernick didn't really have anything to say about this. Kaepernick said, apparently, uh, I wore a Malcolm X t-shirt. Okay, and then this writer said, well, Castro was on the shirt. He said, I'm a believer in Malcolm X and his ideology and what he talked about and what he believed in as far as fighting oppression, which, of course, was avoiding the question. And then he said, the fact that Malcolm X met with Fidel, to me, speaks to his open mind to be willing to hear different aspects of people's views and ultimately being able to create his own views as far as the best way to approach different situations and different cultures. And then the writer asked, it's okay to have an open mind about Castro? He said, I'm not talking about Castro. I'm talking about Malcolm X and what he's done for people. Okay, but he didn't have a good answer. And that's the point. None of these people have a good answer. It's just the fetishization of communist evil, the fetishization of radical leftism, ignoring the murder, ignoring the atrocities, because after all, they're fighting for social justice. And individual justice doesn't matter. The execution of dissidents doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that social justice has been created, a fairer universe. Really quite disgusting stuff. uh, We can only hope and pray uh, that the new Secretary of Education, in her effort to sort of... uh, devolve more education away from the public schools and toward private schooling and religious schooling. We can only hope that education in the United States moves away from the model where we make excuses for evil and instead we start attempting to uh, to, to fight it at every turn and call it out wherever it exists. And that, by the way, includes Donald Trump. You know, Trump makes a great statement about Castro. I, I tweeted over the weekend, I'd like to see him make similar points about Vladimir Putin, who is in fact a former KGB guy who's presided over an evil dictatorship. Uh, in Russia that has invaded other countries. There's lots of evil. There's plenty of evil to call out. We can all do it together, but we have to stand by principle first instead of standing by political convenience uh, or by muddled thinking. Okay, so tomorrow we will be back. We'll bring you the update on the ongoing Romney saga, which continues apace. Also, we'll bring you the latest on this, what looks like it may be a terrorist attack at Ohio State University, Um, but we'll have more information tomorrow, and uh, and we will give you all that information when we get it. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. <laughs> 